In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come with grateful hearts for the gifts and the graces you give to us today. We thank you for the sacred liturgy, this place where we're able to encounter you. And even by simply the, the things that are placed before our eyes, the vestments that are worn, the ceremonies that are celebrated, and all of these things, they speak of your glory, of your honor, of your goodness, of your power. And we pray that we might be able to draw some encouragement tonight from this conference, that it may be for our continued edification in all of these things as we place ourselves before you. We ask the intercession of Our Lady that, that we might continue to be conformed more perfectly to the image of your Son and to her own heart as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so this talk is about vestments, and so uh, you can see behind me, we got a few of them here, uh, and these are literally just a few of them. Uh, so these are, these are some of the ones that, that I would be uh, required to wear in the sacred liturgy. As soon as you get into bishops, the, we could fill up three or four rails uh, with, with all the vestments and the things that go on, and that's not even before you get to cardinals and the Holy Father, uh, according to the traditional ceremonies. And so... Uh, I'm drawing, uh, I'm drawing kind of most of the information here from from four uh, from four places, four uh, four sources. Uh, the first is uh, in these books here in front of me, uh, the Spirit of Liturgy from Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, so he's got a reflection not on not on the on the history of vestments and things, but really kind of more on the spirituality. I'll kind of I'll begin with that kind of the what's the value of the purpose of vestments in the Holy Mass. Uh, the second one is uh, Father Joseph Dunny, uh, is um, a classical work written in the early 20th century uh, that does have has some good some good explanations, has a, a pretty substantial section on history and 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 kind of the life of vestments uh, as they've developed and and this uh, and lastly uh, the book Nothing Superfluous uh, from Father James Jackson is a contemporary work. Uh, published only only a handful of years or so ago, uh, kind of comparable uh, with Father Dunny, uh, but adding a, a few extra uh, bits of reflection as far as the devotional aspects. And the last one is the good old Catholic Encyclopedia. Uh, I didn't bring all the all the editions with me because that's unnecessary. Uh, and if you don't have to even buy it, you can just go to newadvent.org and Catholic Encyclopedia at the top, and it's got everything everything there. So. Um, kind of pulled, pulled some of this, uh, trying to pull it all together here. So uh, the majority of the talk, if you're looking just strictly to know about the vestments themselves, if you've got it on this piece of paper, if that's all you really want to know, you can leave right now, honestly, because most of what I'm going to say is contained on this sheet of paper, uh, just in abbreviated form here, uh, kind of longer form uh, through, the, through the talk, the presentation. But to, to begin, uh, kind of calling to mind, uh, again, Cardinal Ratzinger's work, The Spirit of Liturgy, uh, which, uh, again, I would encourage each of you, uh, if, you've not, if you've not gotten a copy and read it, I would certainly encourage you to do so. Uh, it can be a little bit like uh, puddling through mud, uh, very thick mud, uh, but because he's, he's such an intellectual man, bright man, uh, but it is certainly, it is certainly worth it, the, the, the fruits that you gain 
uh, from that work is, uh, cannot be understated. And so Cardinal Ratzinger, his uh, several pages devoted to, to why vestments, essentially. Kind of in the latter part of his book, he gets into some of the, the, uh, the general things of the liturgy itself, not specifically the new mass, old mass, but just the mass, right? Just the liturgy. And so he begins by making the point that, that, that a priest dons vestments for the sacred liturgy because the purpose is for him to be out of the picture and for Christ to be the center focus, right? And so if Father Brent just shows up in Father Brent's clothes, that's a problem. If I just walked out one day, and even in my cassock, which is a religious garb, if I were just simply to walk out and begin Mass, there's a problem there, right? Something's gone wrong. And so it's this, this reality that, that vestments, uh, they speak that, that the person is now being covered, right? They're being covered over. It's, it's not Father Brent just simply uh, offering the Mass. It's Jesus Christ because he is the true celebrant of the liturgy. It's the priest who acts in the person of Christ, right? So it's the priest acting, but it is, but it is Christ himself who is, who is the true actor uh, of the sacred liturgy, the reality is this is kind of uh, imaging John the Baptist, right? So um, the priest is, is you know, kind of, t- kind of taking the words of, of John the Baptist himself that, that he must increase, I must decrease. Uh, and so the liturgy uh, is not a place for my personality to shine. Um, it's a place for Christ to shine, for me to do as best as I can to get out of the way. Um, if, if the liturgy becomes focused on on the priest and his personality, the liturgy has gone wrong, right? We've gone in the wrong direction. Uh, and so the vestments kind of speak to this reality. The vestments, as we'll kind of go through, kind of show some of the, uh, some of the things that are, that are often contained on them. Um, the vestments, whenever you're placing them on, it's, it's clothing oneself in Christ, right? And so the, the vestments themselves say Christ in a variety of places, a variety of ways, either physically, visibly, or symbolically. And so it's this, the priest is putting on Christ, which is simply our, our invitation for all of us, really, is every last one of us, whenever we are baptized, St. Paul tells us in, in every other letter, he speaks about it very explicitly, that we are called to put on Christ, right? So we're called to put on these things. Uh, so it's, it's like clothing ourselves in Jesus is, is what we do as Christians, right? And so remember that the ancient baptismal, baptismal liturgy is a person would go in, it would be a, a baptistry kind of like what we have, but if it would be adults, it would be a large in-ground pool. Um, and one would come in, one strip off one's clothing, and then you would be immersed in the water, baptized, and you would come up on the other side of the font and be given a white garment, a white robe, and they would wear that for the next week such that the Sunday after Easter in our missiles is Dominica and Albis, the Sunday in white, right? That's when the people who are baptized at Easter show back up and they're still in their white. You know, they're still in, the, in this garment kind of showing forth the virtue. They've been clothed in Christ. And so this is part of our, our basic nature as Christians is that we are to be clothed in Christ. Uh, but particularly for the priest to be able to, to do this is, is putting, on, putting on Christ, putting on his virtues, putting on his, his nature um, to be the celebrant in the sacred liturgy. And so we have the, this, this sense of the vestments being a way in which the priest is um, hidden to some degree. Uh, there are other ways the liturgy does that as well, particularly the autorientum posture is a very helpful way to the priest to kind of 
get out of the way because uh, I don't feel like I need to show off when I'm talking to Jesus in the tabernacle right in front of me because I got nothing to show off about. <laughs> right? All I got is my sins. He's got everything else, right? Everything else is him, right? And so it's this, this reality that, that it's, it's, you know, to be able to allow the, the priest to fade into the background and for it not to be who celebrates the mass so much as just simply the celebration of the mass. It's just the liturgy itself being celebrated and being able to enter into it. And so a couple of things also as, as again, this kind of putting on the vestments, this is not something that's just for the priest. This is the entire community is supposed to benefit from the vestments. So it's not just that you just, you know, you kind of hang out and, you, you know, father's in his clothes again. He's got his nice robes and vestments on and good for him. They look nice. And, you know, so I know one of them kind of shimmers a little bit or maybe a few of them kind of shimmer a little bit in the lights. And you're like, oh, a little sparkle, sparkle. It's kind of nice, right? Like it, that's not the extent of your edification, or at least I hope it's not uh, by the wearing of vestments, right? That there's something that each investment speaks and there's something that, that, that all of us who are present in the community can be contemplating and praying with at various times as we see the vestments. It doesn't mean we do it every single time. We still think about all the vestments every single mass, uh, but you know that from time to time, it may come up. The thought may cross our minds uh, contemplating a particular vestment. And so uh, it's this putting on Christ is to know that we are being transformed, that we are ma- being made into Christ, right? And so it's, it's becoming, becoming something other, right? So it's putting on Christ, putting on, uh, putting on his grace, putting on his virtues, and allowing our hearts little by little to be converted more and more perfectly to the Lord. And so it's the transformation that's a basic call of the Christian life that we are, that we are putting on. But also um, Cardinal Ratzinger points to the fact that 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 St. Paul, so much of his language also in putting on things, speaks explicitly about the the body of of not not desiring that it be naked, right? And not simply just like physically speaking, but spiritually speaking. And that that putting on clothing is building up heavenly riches, right? So clothing oneself in Christ is also anticipating the day where the fruits of all this will happen. It's anticipating the resurrection of the body, and so the, the fact of vestments is, is also not just here in this life, but something that ought to also kind of lift our minds into the heavens, that our body matters, and we will have bodies in heaven, uh, and we clothe them, we treat them as such here and now, because they're going to be there in heaven too. It's kind of, kind of like the, uh, just one of the practical things, interestingly, is uh, like the, the host for Mass, the hosts at Mass, um, they are to be treated with reverence even before we consecrate them. It's not like we can take the hosts and just kind of toss them around, do whatever you want with them, and then afterwards they're consecrated, you've got to treat it special. Like, the hosts, we, we, we care for them particularly even before the Mass begins. Like, there's a reverence that this thing is going to become the body of Christ, and so we need to reverence it and not treat it like nothing. Right? And so much the same with our own bodies, that that we will have glorified bodies, please God, right? And we ought to treat our bodies as such. And so this, this vesting is kind of contemplating all these things, the holy body, the glorious body that we will one day have. So uh, that's a little bit of, of what Cardinal Ratzinger uh, was, was kind of highlighting in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy. And so that's part of, that's part of it. Uh, and again, the reason um, is that all of the reason of all of that uh, in so many ways is, 
is simply the acknowledgement that, that the liturgy is not just another piece of normal life, that this is the most important thing that happens in this world, that the liturgy is a number one, top of the totem pole speaking, right? That there is nothing else that measures up to it in importance in this life. And so it's for us to, uh, to treat it as such and to be able to, to dress appropriately, essentially, right? And so I want to get into the vestments themselves since that's the content of this talk. And so you'll you notice if you look on the sheet, it's got the, uh, it's got the, the, the vestment itself. Next to it is, um, is the indication of when... Um, of, where it com- of when it comes from or, and or when it is first mentioned in, in the books that we have kind of record of. Uh, and so those, those two parts are in the bold. So the item itself, approximately when, uh, when it derives from. And then below that, below that to the extent that, that I was able, I think I was able to get all of them, uh, there's the, you know, where the word comes from, the etymology, so we can get the, the actual description of the items. Uh, the prayers that are prayed for their, their particular prayers that are offered for each vestment, uh, minus the bread and, and some of the other, the other ones past the bread here, uh, as well as some of the, the history of it and the, the, the devotion or doctrine that are kind of tied up in it. And so uh, we'll begin first with the cassock and surplice. Right? So uh, the cassock is the long black robe that the priest wears, um, and it comes from uh, the French word. It's a relatively, new, a relatively recent word, cassock. Um, comes from the French cassock, uh, which simply means long coat. So I got a long coat on, right? Uh, and part of the part of the symbolism of it, I didn't I didn't include on here because I, it was easier just to say it all, I guess. Um, is the the priest wears black because it's a, a call to be dead to one's own self. Like it's you know when I lay down on the cathedral floor. Um, I meant it, right? like I'm dead. We, we don't get to do the pall. Like in religious communities, they put a burial pall on top of you and they bring the death toll because you're dead. <laughs> it's a striking thing, right? I didn't get to have that privilege at the, at the, uh, the cathedral, but, but there is a, a line down on the, on the floor of the cathedral, in which case like you're laying your life down, like you, you are done, right? And so the priest is to wear black as a sign of this having died to himself. He's perpetually, perpetually dead to himself so as to live entirely for God. Uh, traditional cassock will have 33 buttons on the front. Uh, so 33, of course, for the years of the life of our Lord. Um, if your priest takes care of his cassock, unlike your pastor, he will have five buttons on the sides. Both of mine have four, and I don't know how both of the same button fell off on each sleeve. So they at least match but there are supposed to be five buttons on each side for the five wounds of our Lord uh, that, are, that are there on the cuffs. On the back, there are three pleats where the cassock is pulled together because it's a lot of cloth, as you can tell. Right? And so the three, pe- the three pleats are kind of pulling together like the symbolism of the Trinity. Uh, the, the cincture that is worn uh, is a cincture band, but it's a cross. <laughs> right? So it's made in the shape of a T. And so as you put it on, it's a praying, you know, that you're praying as taking up the cross uh, for oneself to be able to follow after our Lord. And so all of these things are simply, in a secular manner, clothing oneself in Christ. Uh, and a cassock is, is an idol that is, is to be blessed. Uh, and so the cassock itself is a sacramental, 
right? So I can't just throw my cassocks out whenever I get rid of them. Uh, I, have to, I have to either bury them or burn them. Uh, and so it's, a, kind of, it's a, again, it's a sacramental reality. And two, it's a, a thing where they can give grace. It's part of the reason that priests are encouraged to, to wear their cassocks. <laughs> We're encouraged to wear our clerics and told by the church that we should be wearing our clerical garb uh, is because they are sacramentals, because they help others to open their hearts to the grace of God. That's what a sacramental does, right? And I can't even count the number of people who have come to, come to speak with me because I was in the cassock, right? I was in the visible sign of I'm a priest, like I'm Christ present here, right? That the Lord is with you. Uh, and so it's these visible signs that, that the priest wears the cassock uh, to be able to do so. Priest also usually wears uh, a white collar, a sign of a sign of purity, a sign of the of the entire consecration of oneself to our blessed Lord. As I heard one priest say uh, one time, it says, uh, "said married folks wear their ring on their finger. I wear mine on my neck." Right. So, kind of a, a helpful little reminder there. It's kind of just this the, the the gift of self that I've made to Christ and to His Church. On top of on top of the the cassock uh, for for like our altar servers at mass, our priest and various other celebrations will be the surplice. So the surplice, is this little guy, which comes in a variety of forms, it can be it can be uh, kind of much longer. It can be well, if it wasn't if it was much shorter, then I wouldn't be able to wear this because it's already about short as it can be on me. Uh, and it can have lace or knots and all these kinds of things. There's all kinds of details in it, but basically it's a simple, a simple white garment from the Latin super pellicium, which means overgarment. Um, so super means over, and pellicium, pellicium actually means like skin. So this is kind of like your overskin. Uh, so you wear it on top of your clothes so you can have something on top. So it was kind of like, it was like putting on your fur back in the day, uh, you know, but that would be weird if I just put on skin or fur uh, on top of my cassock today. So that's what a surplus is. A surplus is worn by, by altar servers or the priest, if he's doing something that's other than mass, he would put on a surplus uh, and the various other vestments uh, to celebrate the rites. So that's a cassock and surplus. And the, um, so the cassock and surplus, uh, they have their roots uh, from at least the sixth century. Uh, and so whenever we say these things, whenever we put dates on it, uh, as you'll see, usually it's, it'll also just say apostolic first because they, these are things that are from, from the earliest ages of the church, but that also kind of take a variety of names, a variety of descriptions, and the way in which we have it today shows up at the particular point, but very often it'll be, it'll be way farther back in the life of the church. So, cassock and surplus, uh, a distinctive garment for priests, a distinctive longer robe, um, because in the, um, I forget which of the, which of the text was describing it, that at some point in, in, the, in, the, in the 6th century, the Romans started wearing short togas. Uh, so they, they started kind of wearing high-water togas. And the priests were distinguished because they were told to maintain the long toga. Right? And so the, the long robe uh, distinguished the clergy in Rome from the short one that, that you know, the, common, the common Roman would wear. And so that's when we start to see a distinction specifically of the priest wearing specific rows, specific long robes to be able to, to distinguish uh, from, you know, between, between clergy and laity. So the emmis is the next piece. It's the first piece one puts on for Holy Mass. And the emmis comes from the word amictus, which simply means covering. 
Now, I have there that it's apostolic, but it's actually, uh, it's from the beginning. Uh, the word amictus is in Genesis. Amictus is the word that is used for what Adam and Eve covered themselves with in the garden. Uh, <laughs> so they had the amictus uh, whenever, they, whenever they clothed themselves. And so an amos is a white, uh, a white linen garment, uh, usually in rectangular shape such as this. Oftentimes there will be a cross in the center. Uh, this one's a cross in white, but sometimes it'll be in red. Or there'll be other embroidery or these kinds of things that'll be on it. And one would simply take it and place it upon one's head and offer the prayer, said here, Lord, set the helmet of salvation on my head to fend off all the assaults of the devil. And so to place it on, the priest would reverence it with a kiss, wrap it over, put it on his head like that for a second, and then usually bring it down around his shoulders. If it's a religious priest, if like Benedictines or Dominicans, that they have hoods as part of their habit, they'll actually just leave it up on top. They'll pull their hood up and then leave this on top. And this becomes their beretta. Like my beretta, whenever I take it off, off during mass or when I wear it during procession, their beretta is, is the hood with this on top of it. And so they just have a longer amice that folds down a bit, right? And so the amice is held here and then it's wrapped around. And you got extra long ties, because sometimes your priests have extra large stomachs. And then you tie it there in the center, and then you kind of tuck it in, uh, tuck it in around your, around your neck. I'm not going to put all the vestments on, because it gets hot. So, uh, but for the, sake of, for the sake of the demonstration, this is uh, what the MS is. Now, uh, again, the prayer speaks of a helmet of salvation to fend off the assaults of the devil. Uh, and so this is part of what the, the symbolism is, you know, as it's being put on as, as a helmet of salvation, as it's being put on the head. But uh, again, the common use to begin with uh, prior, to, prior to the life of Christ, during the life of Christ, and after the life of Christ, is that essentially it was kind of like a sort of apron, right? And so you can take the ties and you could take it and wrap it around your waist and you could tie it around your waist and it became, it became an apron of sorts. Uh, sometimes it was, it was also an option uh, because it's a kind of a versatile, a versatile vestment here uh, that women would sometimes cover their own heads with it or they would use it as a, essentially as like a, a, shoulder, a shoulder cover uh, and then they kind of be able to, to wrap the strings around uh, if, they, if they had strings on it in that particular case. And so it could be something that was, that was an apron, it was a head cover, it was a shoulder cover. It's kind of a, a whole variety of things in a secular sense, in a common sense. And actually, even in the life of the church, it fulfills all three of those things. Because again, you saw me put it on my head, but then it wraps around over my shoulders, so it covers the shoulders, uh, so it covers that as well. But then there is one particular day during the year where it does become an apron as well, and that's Holy Thursday. And Holy Thursday that indicates that the priest takes an amice and he wraps it around his waist as he does the mandatum, the washing of feet, right? And so it's the priest puts on the amice as a, as a symbol, as a garment of service. Uh, and so this is what the, the amice uh, is for those things. And things that are helpful for us to, to consider when we're praying with, uh, praying with the amice, so the reality of it, uh, is one, uh, for me as a, as a priest, it always touches the neck, right? So when it wraps around, it always comes across and it touches the neck. And usually, usually because you have to tuck it all in, sometimes it'll be a little tight, uh, right? And so it'll be a little tight on your neck sometimes. Uh, and so if you see me doing this number during mass, it's not because my neck is stiff. It's because I'm trying to get my neck because all there's just tons of cloth, right? Just kind of all bunched up there. And so 
what it is is, is there's a, a wonderful recognition that, that the amos is something that is supposed to be a restriction of the speech of the priest. Because then it's symbolically, it's, it ties across, across, his, across his vocal cords, right? And so it's to be able to say that, that, that I am to sing what the church gives me to sing at Mass. I am to say what the church gives me to say at Mass. And the only part where I have any flexibility whatsoever is during the sermon. And even that, I need to say what the Holy Spirit tells me to say during Mass. Um, and so nothing more, nothing less. And so it's the fact that the emiss crossing the vocal cords is that sign of, of, of restraint of one's own speech, to humble oneself, not to speak unnecessarily during the sacred liturgy, but to be able to say that which the church has given to us. Also, the sign that it's a, a protection over the head is a, a reminder to us, again, as the prayer says, to, it's a helmet of salvation to fend off the assaults of the devil. And what's one of the best ways that the devil loves to, to fight with us during Mass? <laughs> Our head, right? Distractions, anxieties, we're thinking about this, we're thinking about that, concerned about this, concerned about that. So the place where A number one, like the devil loves to attack us during Mass, is in our mind, right? And so the priest kind of putting that on is, is saying, Lord, protect me from the distractions here. Protect me from, from, from you know, the, the 10,000 things that could be brought before my mind during this Holy Mass. Protect me from, from the evil one who wants to, to do all this, really to have the goal of taking grace away from me, like of not having the grace of God because I'm distracted, because I'm, I'm separated, because I'm, I'm over here and I should be right here. Right? And so the Amos is that, is that sign to us of protecting ourselves from the evil one, uh, restraining speech during Holy Mass, as well as protection uh, from the evil one with, with guards specifically to distractions. And so obviously those are things that y'all can pray with too, right? Uh, so you have parts of Mass where you are called to speak, where you are called to sing and make response. Um, there are times where when we are not called to do so, when we're called to remain silent. Uh, and so not to have unnecessary speech, you know, before, during, or after, um, but also to be able to allow those distractions to be set aside. So that's the, the gift of the Amos for us. The next is the Alb. So the Alb is the original, original version from which the surplus comes. The surplus is just a shorter, it's a short alb. Um, alb comes from the, the Latin word, which means, uh, the Latin word albus, which means white. So it's the white thing. Sometimes we're very practical in our Roman naming of items, right? So it's the white thing that we wear. So the, the white thing is a long garment. It can be, it can be plain for, for, certain, for certain reasons, or it can have lace. It can have designs. It can have a whole variety of things upon it. But the, all of that depends merely upon perhaps the, the, the desire of the priest or the particular feast day. Uh, you, if, if you pay attention, usually I will wear my simple alb that doesn't, have, uh, that doesn't have lace on it for ordinary days, for days that are not celebratory feast days. Uh, if you see me on Sunday, it's going to be lace, right? Because Sunday is a higher-ranking feast. It's a greater celebration, and so we need to dress like it, right? And so, so particular vestments indicate, uh, can, help, can be helpful in, in visually giving a cue of, of this is more important, right? Uh, and so this is, you know, the, the albs can be part of that as well. When the priest puts on the alb, he says, uh, the prayer, make me white, O Lord, and cleanse my heart, that being made white in the blood of the Lamb, I may deserve an eternal reward, right? And so again, it's this, this cleansing in the blood of the Lamb, this washing this clean as a reminder of our baptism, a reminder of the white garment that we receive 
at our baptism, being clothed in Christ. And so uh, in history, even then, this, this uh, again, this is kind of an apostolic, apostolic age type of thing, but also uh, in the ninth century where we start to see this specifically always used uh, within the sacred liturgy. The garment itself, uh, a, a long, a long full-length white garment, uh, often with decoration, was a sign of celebration. It would be, it was commonly used in the culture of our blessed Lord, uh, and it was something where you know, like, kind of like a wedding garment, right? You had, a, you had your nicer, nicer vestments, your nicer garment. So it would be commonly worn by anybody and everybody as a sign of a celebration, as a sign of great joy, uh, and so this is something the priest obviously would wear as well. Uh, kind of giving it that baptismal imagery also, and that purity which which we speak from our uh, from our baptism, imitating Christ. And so the the devotions or doctrines we can consider as we um, as we see the the vestment of the alb is that of the holiness required of the ministers, right? And so the fact that that the others in the sanctuary will wear shorter garments. Uh, but the, the priest or deacon, the subdeacon uh, at Holy Mass, uh, those who, who approach the holy altar and stay up on the steps, um, you wear the, the, we wear the full length, right? So you've got to cover all of you, right? And so it's, it's a, higher, a higher celebration, a higher calling. Just as the priest and all, and all the other sacraments uh, offers, you know, offers the various prayers and blessings, but the Mass is the highest because it's the offering of Christ himself. And so one has to be as pure as possible, right? And so it's the, the, full, the full garment of the priest will be covered with the alb. So it's just the required holiness of state that is, uh, that is, that is likely um, kind of given as a, an encouragement here. But also a reminder of our baptismal purity, that we're made pure and perfect, and we're called to maintain that, to continue to uh, look forward to that. And also the fact that these are celebratory garments is a reminder that there's a heavenly banquet, a heavenly joy that awaits us. And so to don the alb is to consider our baptism, but also to consider the, the fruit of our baptism in the end, which we pray will be eternal life. Next, the priest would put on the cincture, which comes much like the alb from apostolic times as well as explicit mention in the ninth century. So the cincture comes from the Latin cingulum, which is a girdle, right? And so the prayer is, Gird me, O Lord, with the cincture of purity, and quench in my heart the fire of concupiscence, that the virtue of continence and chastity may abide in me. And so the priest would put on, put on the cincture and tie it in a particular knot, and thus it is, it is bound and it is, it is here, right? It gathers up all the cloth. And so part of it is that it was... Uh, kind of simply a practical thing uh, that if I don't have <laughs> if I don't have this uh, which is known as a fascia but they're actually basically the same thing just in different size uh, so if I don't have my fascia on if I'm walking around in the kitchen there is a high likelihood that I'm going to swing in my vestment and my, my cloth is going to swing out a bit and it will catch on those nice little hooks that are on the handles uh, for the for the for the utensil drawers right and I can't tell you the number of times I've heard shh as I've turned because a big chunk of my cloth just ripped right down the seam because I didn't have the fascia on at the time and turned and it caught right in the pocket and there we are. Right? And so on a practical note, 
it's helpful if you got a lot of cloth on to keep it close to you. <laughs> Just lest all of it, you know, starts catching on things, pulling on this, pulling on that, dragging here, there, and everywhere. And so it's kind of a normal, a normal thing that in the world that people would have. It was normal for people to wear long flowing garments, and so they would tie them up. And so as not to have all of it everywhere, kind of flowing all over the place. Um, and if it, if, you know, when it came time for work, uh, so if one was working, one could, you could tie your belt, you could tie your, tie your cincture, and then pull up your cassock a little bit, and it stays up top, and you got a little extra leg room on the bottom. Uh, anybody's ever seen me climb a ladder? That's what I do, <laughs> right? Because the last thing, if I'm climbing up, up, uh, up high, I don't want to trip on my cassock and find myself on the floor, uh, on the ground. Uh, and so, right, and so it's, it's kind of pulling, pulling everything up. The, the, the cincture holds everything together and keeps it close. So, so that's part of the practicality of things. And this is why it was something that was just a common, a commonly used item. Like we would use a belt, like we would use all these other, these things, these, you know, things in our regular garments uh, that it was for that. The um, part of the, the spiritual meaning of it, of course, is, the, is chastity, right? Is, is putting on chastity, putting on continence, uh, praying that the Lord would kind of gird one's loins uh, as, we, as we understand that from the sacred scriptures. But also, uh, interestingly enough, there are kind of two other, two other things that, uh, that are in here that are not often thought about, uh, at, least, at least to most. Uh, and one is... Is in, the, in Jeremiah, as it indicates there, chapter 13, verses 10 to 11, the Lord, speaking to Jeremiah, says that, that, I, that like, a, like a cincture with a cloth, I keep my people close to me. Right? So the cincture is actually kind of that reminder of, like the, of the, the cincture that gathers the cloth close. The Lord cinctures us to himself. He's gathering us to himself to keep us close. Uh, and so the sanctuary is a visible reminder that God wants to keep us close to himself, not to have us kind of flowing all around with our crazy robe self, right? But to, to keep us close to him, right? And so there's part of that that's there. But also another piece is to warn us against complacency. That uh, if anyone wears uh, a holy cord of St. Philomena or of St. Joseph or these kinds of things, uh, or if you, wear, if you wear a scapular, uh, there are moments where you recognize the item. You recognize it in some manner, right? So you, you try to do something and, you, and your, your, your scapular is kind of half strangling you. Uh, or if you, wear, if you wear a holy cord, right? You, you try to, you know, you eat too much and you feel the cord, right? It's your, stomach's, your stomach's kind of distended. I'm speaking to myself personally. I have a cord. <laughs> it's right here and I can feel it because my stomach's a little big right now, right? Just had food a little bit earlier. Kind of fat and happy, right? And so, the whenever the whenever the cord is present there, whenever you feel it, it's a reminder to us not to get complacent, not to get comfortable, right? That that whenever you like, because again, these things are these are meant to be felt. Um, there's a reason that that like the vestments. Um, sorry to be sorry to be graphic, but my my vestments usually are pretty pretty terribly wrecked by the end of Sunday mass after three masses. Um, they're good and sweaty. Like they are well used. Like they have been, I, I know for a fact that I've been wearing vestments, right? Because they impress themselves upon me. They, they make me feel in my flesh something, right? That this is a labor, that this is a task. That this is not something that's easy and comfortable and, and just kind of 
whatever. You know, as much as I would like the AC unit that's hooked up to my cassock to just blow air and, and everything's nice and cool and I'm at 70 degrees the entire mass, that's just not reality. It's not Catholicism, right? And so having a cincture is on one's waist that there are moments where, you know, when you can feel it whenever you're moving or whenever you're genuflecting or kind of these various movements that one makes that it, it kind of it presses in upon you. And it's a reminder to us that we're not meant to be comfortable, that there's a, a, a discomfort that ought to be part of our regular Christian life. Next up is our friend, the maniple. So a garment required in the traditional mass, sadly optional in the new mass, but nonetheless, you see me wearing it at both uh, because of the value that it has. The, manip- the maniple, again, kind of, of apostolic origin, uh, explicitly mentioned first in the, in the sixth century. Uh, and so maniple comes from the Latin word manipulum, which is a folded handkerchief. And so the, the vestment itself came from the fact that whenever you work, as we know well in Louisiana, when you work in the heat, you sweat, right? And you got sweat running down your face, right? And so, uh, so it was a normal thing that people would take these claws, this, this folded handkerchief, tie it around their arm so they'd be out at work and they could just take it and wipe their face off and dry off a little bit, keep the, you know, the sweat and salt out of your eyes and, and continue doing your labor, right? And so it was something where it was, it was kind of a, a regular social custom that you would just tie a cloth on your arm and to wipe your face off. Now, we, of course, took that and brought it into the sacred liturgy. And to be able to, to give it a, a spiritual meaning, the prayer that the priest prays as he puts it on, it says, May I deserve, O Lord, to bear the maniple of weeping and sorrow, in order that I may joyfully reap the rewards of my labors. Right? That sounds a strange thing that you, you know, give me, <laughs> may I deserve to bear the maniple of sorrow and weeping. May I deserve to bear sorrow and weeping. Right? It's not a thing you would normally think about. But it's the recognition that it's the, the sorrow and the weeping of, of uniting ourselves with Christ so that it bears good fruits. So as we're going through, uh, one you know, is, is going through Mass. The, the maniple is worn on the left arm because the right arm is the one that offers blessing. Right? If, you ever, if you ever see at Holy Mass, uh, particularly you, you might have to be kind of close or at an angle. Maybe you could see it on TV or something like that a little better. Um, but the priest, anytime that, anytime that something is happening, uh, if, I am, if I'm offering a blessing over the, the bread and the wine, uh, as happens several times during the Eucharistic prayer, the left hand always goes on the altar to be able to offer the blessings. So that what the right hand blesses, the left hand's always on the altar, right? And so the left hand always goes uh, down. And so that's a reminder to us uh, that, that, this, that this life is a valley of tears, right? This life is labor. This life is work. This life is toilsome, that, it, that it, it is blood, sweat, and tears in so many ways all throughout the course of our life, especially working out our salvation. And so on that practical level, kind of wiping off our head, so to speak, as we're going through the valley of tears. But it's also a reminder to us that the tears have a value, that, they, that there's fruitfulness in the end, as the prayer indicates, that I may joyfully reap the reward of my labors. Because one of the prayers, uh, one of the prayers in the Psalms speak of, of those who, who go out sowing in tears, but they come back carrying their sheaves, right? And the, the sheaf, that they, the thing, a, sharing, a, a sheaf of, of wheat, a, a, a container of wheat, basically, 
is, is also described as a manipulo, right? And so one goes out in tears, carrying seed for the sowing to be able to labor in the fields, but you come back carrying their sheaves, your manipulos, as a sign of reaping the fruits of the fields, right? And so the, the maniple as a sign of tears also is used, biblically speaking, as a vestment of hope, as a vestment of fruitfulness, as a vestment of promise that is given to us. And so it's the maniple that, that encourages us in these things to be able to labor in this life, but to know that there is a fruitfulness, there is a purpose, there is a value. It's not just work for work's sake, but it's work to be able to know that all of these things are being used by our Lord to build up his kingdom. You may notice also the maniple is, is taken off during the sermon. It's, uh, the maniple is only worn during Mass. Uh, so it's not worn for anything else. Uh, and then, you know, like, even when I'm processing in, uh, processing in at Mass for the asperges on Sundays, if you look, it's not on my arm. It's on the chair, right? And so whenever, whenever the servers hold up the vestment, hold up the cope uh, that I'm hiding behind there, I'm putting the, putting the maniple on, putting the, the chasuble on to get ready for Mass, right? And so the homily, technically speaking, is kind of a, a little pause. There's nowhere in the missal where it says, and now the priest gives the homily. It's not a part, right? It says gospel, creed, <laughs> right? So the, 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 the insertion of the homily is kind of a, you know, we interrupt, your, <laughs> we interrupt your broadcast for a few words of encouragement from your priest, right? And so, the, you know, you take off the maniple as a sign of, this is a pause button, and you go do the readings in, in the vernacular, do the sermon, do the announcements, whatever is going to happen. And you come back, put the maniple on, and you begin again, right? Hit the play button, now we're back, right? And so that's the kind of the theology. That's part of why the, the maniple is, is just for the celebration of Holy Mass because it's there that we, that we really labor in the vineyard with the sufferings of Christ as Christ himself is, is offering himself in the vineyard on our behalf. The next thing the priest puts on <clears throat> is that of the stole, uh, which is one of the only, in fact, here, yeah, of the, of the main vestments that the priest dons for Mass. It's the only one that doesn't have explicitly apostolic origin. Uh, so all the, all the rest of them do. Uh, so the stole actually, uh, so the stole from stolam, uh, Latin, just simply means long cloth because it's a long cloth. Again, we're not super creative in our naming. Uh, so the priest puts on the long cloth. Uh, so that's, I wear a long coat, wear a long cloth, put on the white thing, right? We're, we're really, we got our, our verbiage down as, uh, as Catholics, as Romans specifically, right? So it's the, the stolam is a long cloth. The prayer that the priest prays as he puts it on, he would kiss, kiss, the, kiss the cross because you always kiss that which you love, right? So you love the cross and you kiss the cross as you place it on and say, Lord, restore the soul of immortality, which I lost through the collusion of our first parents. And unworthy as I am to approach thy sacred mysteries, may I yet gain eternal joy. And so uh, the best kind of summation of, 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 the, of the stole and its place within the church, specifically as it arose in the fifth century, is it essentially was kind of a badge of a badge of notice, a badge of honor, so to speak, um, that it was, it was one of those things that similar where the priests were wearing a, long, a longer coat, uh, the longer toga rather than the shorter one, um, that this was, it was a cloth that would often be worn not just during Mass, but everywhere that the priest would go 
uh, it would be warm as a symbol of his priesthood. Uh, and so the same with a deacon. Uh, he would also, the deacon would also wear uh, a stole where he would go, wherever he was going, as a visible sign uh, that he was consecrated, that he was one who belonged to the Lord. And you notice that both of, the, both of those things, they, they come into existence uh, after Catholicism is uh, taken off of off persecution watch in Rome, right? And so you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to walk around in the 200s wearing a stole in your, in, your long, in your long robe to say, I'm a priest, because that's basically a big walking sign that says, please kill me, uh, right? And so you start to see these distinguishing vestments of priest from laity only after the fourth century uh, with the Edict de Milan and the legalization of, of the Catholic faith throughout the Roman Empire. So the stole, uh, again, has, uh, has that, that possible connection to secular ties uh, that may be there. Uh, but for this specifically, part of, the, part of the thought of putting it on is obedience. Right? So the priest, he kisses it and he puts himself under the yoke. Right? And so as it goes on, kind of yokes himself, right? He's under the weight of it. In a similar manner, uh, that whenever you put it on uh, and kind of put it in place and you tie it with the cincture, it's kind of firm, right? It's restricting. Uh, so there's not just a lot of freedom. And so obedience calls us to be restricted uh, to that which is the will of the Lord. And so uh, it's a sign of obedience. Uh, it's also a call of conversion to heart uh, because uh, in the traditional rite, every priest, every celebrant of Holy Mass is called to wear a cross upon his heart. A bishop or a cardinal uh, or the Holy Father who has a pectoral cross where the cross would be, would be put on, and the cross would be over their heart, right? And so they have a cross, and so the priest or a bishop um, or a higher prelate would wear their stole straight down. Uh, a priest who does not have a pectoral cross makes a cross over his heart uh, with this stole. And so using, like, the St. Andrew cross uh, would put it on uh, in this fashion. Uh, and so if you see a priest who crosses a stole like this, he knows something about the Latin Mass, and you should talk to that priest, Right? And so he puts it on like this. And also the reminder of, of St. Andrew, because the, the X, the St. Andrew cross is in the form of an X rather than Peter's cross and that of a T, historically speaking at least. Um, and so the form of an X of St. Andrew's cross also has a, a, a reminder of the priest's own deference to the hierarchy uh, that, that in, in imitation of Andrew, who is, who is below Peter, uh, the priest is also... Uh, below the bishop, right? And that uh, there's just a mindfulness of that uh, in the practical sense of uh, investments as well. Next up is the chasuble from apostolic times again, uh, from the Latin word casula, which means little house. So every Sunday, every Mass, I get to put on a little house. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, kind of cute, right? And so the prayer that said is that the priest will pray, O Lord, who has said, my yoke is sweet and my burden light, grant that I may so carry it to merit thy grace. Right? And so he puts on, puts on the, um, the chasuble over, and it's just a spot for the head. Uh, so historically speaking, oh, look at me, I forgot the devotion and doctrine part there. Oh, well, I'll tell it to you anyway. So historically speaking, this was, this was kind of your, your standard, uh, your coverall, right? And so at the beginning, it had, a, it had a hood, 
And so when you would put it on, uh, that it would be a it would be a full length it would be a full length robe. It would cover your arms. It would go down to your you know to just above your feet, and it would have a hood on top. And so it was, you know in case of rain, in case of cold, in case of the sun, in case of whatever, that these things that that, that you were you were covered, right? And so as one was going, it was a it was a common vestment that one would have. And so uh, over time. It was changed, obviously. We took the hood off at some point, right? And it began to shrink. And so it was kind of an interesting, interesting kind of thing because we have different ideas of, of vestments, like the, the, the Roman-style vestment of the fiddle back where it's got the kind of a fiddle-shaped back to it or kind of a square back sometimes. We'll have a... A, still a fiddle-shaped front, so to speak. Um, that that's what we associate with Roman vestments, but that's actually kind of a new, a new vestment in the life of the church. It's only within the last couple of hundred years that that vestment has kind of come, uh, come to form, and it's because our vestments have been getting smaller and smaller over the centuries. Uh, and so I, I forgot to print off. There's a, a neat little, a neat little diagram that I found that showed normal vestment size and how it decreased in the cut. And so I was struck by this because you'll, you'll still see all the different vestments being used. So the original vestment, the original chasuble minus the, minus the hood um, is what we would know today as a conical vestment. So it's, it's a large, kind of large, you know, cone-shaped vestment. Uh, and so it's something where it's, it's, it's got copious, <laughs> copious, uh, you know, uh, cloth on it which is a bit difficult to wear, right? Because whenever you, because if it covers your arms and usually it'll cover your arms and go at least six inches or so past your arms, it's hard to do something at mass because you're, you know, to, you're, you're caught in all the cloth and getting covered up. And so you do one of two things. Um, you either gather it all up from the front. And so your hands are, you just have a whole lot of cloth kind of wrapping over the front of your arms and your hands are free and you would just see the alb flowing down about in front of it. That's not the proper way to do it, actually speaking, but it can be done that way, right? And so sometimes it'll be seen like that, where you'll just kind of gather everything up, and the priest more or less just kind of pulls his hands out from the front, gathers all the cloth, the cloth up on his elbows, and then has freedom to be able to, to minister with the book, the chalice, all these things. The other way is, is the priest would actually gather it up from the side, and so it would kind of cover, it would, it would kind of shrink down from the front, and it would gather in front of him, but it would still be... Uh, so more or less that he would, he would pull his hands in from the sides of the vestment and the cloth would come down um, and then his hands will be free uh, for him to be able to, to do it. But either way, there's a lot of cloth still, right? And so practically speaking, they said, well, hey, how about we cut back the amount of cloth on it? Because practically it's helpful to not have as much cloth. You don't have to fight with it all the time as well as cheaper. You don't have as much cloth to pay for. And so they started cutting the cloth back, <laughs> little by little. And so it started moving up the arm and up the, up the legs. And so they have, they have the, again, the conical ones, which are, you know, well past the arm. And they have the others, you'll see a lot of, a lot more kind of the, uh, the seventies style ones are like these big, big flowing things with a whole lot of cloth. Uh, and it usually will come, come well to the fingers, you know, so that's the next brand that comes in. And then there's, you know, some of the, some of the jazzables come to the wrist uh, so that's usually the Gothic, Gothic style will come to the wrist and will we'll kind of wrap around down to the front 
uh, as kind of a, a big U, U-shaped vestment. Um, and then so those were, those were there. And then you have semi-Gothics, which is what this one and most of mine are, which comes to the elbow. And you have the, the Borromeo style or the Neri style vestments, which come up uh, kind of mid the middle of the middle of the bicep. Uh, and so uh, like my, my peacock green vestment uh, is, is in the Borromeo style. Uh, and so it's, it's, it covers more of the shoulder uh, and wraps around, but it doesn't go all the way down to the elbows, right? And so the next step up is the Roman chasubles as we see them today in whatever style, whether French or Spanish or Roman, where the cloth is cut all the way up to the shoulder and it goes straight down and then just kind of goes to the knees more or less, right? And so um, the chasubles are all, <laughs> it's basically kind of a practical thing the chasubles just went from being this wide thing to kind of narrow and narrow and narrower and then kind of a simple a simple straight cloth uh, of the Roman style and so um, they're all options uh, like I said I, I usually I usually wear the the semi-gothics because uh, it's a, a fuller vestment but not so much full that you're knocking stuff over or perpetually fighting with uh, fighting with cloth to be able to minister at the altar. So there's a variety of these different types of vestments that are worn. And part of the symbolic meaning of it <clears throat> is as, as it's being put on by the bishop at, for the priest for his ordination, the traditional rite, uh, it would be clothing themselves in charity, right? So St. Paul tells us in the sacred scriptures that, you know, he goes through a list of, of virtue and he says, but above all of these, put on charity, right? And so the, the chasuble is meant to be that, that symbol of charity that is supposed to, uh, supposed to speak of, of Christ. Uh, most visibly, most symbolically, this is part of the reason why why there's uh, there was a, a trend for a while, uh, and still in some places to have one stole on top of the chasuble uh, overlay stoles, and so they, you know you can usually indicate that because it'll be a very plain chasuble, uh, but then it'll be a stole with a really decorative, really decorative uh, kind of stole. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> for lack of, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm sure you've seen it. Um, and, the, and that's part of the reality is, is that, that love is supposed to be the last thing that one puts on. Uh, but if one puts the stole on top, then authority is the last thing that one puts on, right? So then authority is then, char- charity is subject to authority, which is not how it's supposed to work really, right? Uh, and so is kind of the, the reason, the progression of these of these vestments, and so the chasuble is the last one to put on, is putting on charity, uh, so as to, to be able to merit the grace of the Lord. The breda is one that a lot of people have questions about. Um, <clears throat> specifically, if you if you wear it in an English mass, people have no idea what to do with it, uh, and they're like, "Why do you have the hat? What is the hat? What's it called?" Right, and so the breda is a vestment that uh, that is that is given to us. It comes from approximately the 10th century, from, from the, the word birus, which means hood. Uh, and so this might be part of, that, part of that time of transition where the vestments are kind of changing and growing. And so you would have your beretta, uh, which is here. And there's kind of some of the symbolism uh, for the beretta. So historically, in, uh, in most places, the beretta has three horns. Uh, so these, these three little guys... And so the priest will always, if he knows what he's doing, and if the servers are helping him out right, he'll grab it by the middle one, because we always ascend 
to the Blessed Trinity through the person of Christ and his humanity. who took on our humanity so that we could take a share in his divinity, right? And so we come through the second person of, our, of, of the Trinity to enter into oneness with the Lord. It's a vestment also that is four-sided, uh, so kind of holding it in its proper shape. It's a square, right? And so it's a square with a little tassel on the top of it. That should sound vaguely familiar, kind of like a mortar board at graduations, right? It's a square with a tassel on the top of it. It's because they actually have similar, similar connections, uh, presumably around that time, because the graduation gowns, they should look vaguely familiar to you because I'm wearing the thing that it derived from, uh, right? And so academic gowns come from this. Academic hoods come from the hood that was part of the robes. Uh, that the, the mortar board that, that's worn at graduation is a friend of the Beretta, right? And so the, 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 the graduation, uh, so many of the, of the graduation, uh, the gown itself is tied up with religion because oftentimes it was the clergy who were, you know, founding, founding colleges, um, you know, this kind of thing, and being able to, uh, you know, to have degrees and all this kind of thing. And so the Breda is also a sign of, uh, of the, the state of the man himself. Uh, so there you can get a different color palm or different color uh, piping or stripes on the top of, your, of the horns there or a different color Beretta altogether. Uh, if you have a certain degree, if you have a, a license in, in a canon law, I think, you get, I think you get red. If you get a license in morals, perhaps, you get green. One of them you get green. Um, and sometimes religious communities will have their own special colors. But a bishop, of course, Monsignor will get, will get a, a slightly magenta color. Bishops get magenta. Um, cardinals get red minus the palm. If you see one that is black without a palm, it means he's a seminarian. The palm simply indicates ordination. And so if you see a man with a black beretta with three horns, a palm, and nothing else, nothing else special about his colors, it means he's probably just a simple priest. It doesn't have a license. He's not a monsignor. He's not a bishop. He's just your plain Jane Parish priest. Thanks be to God, right? And so the, the, the hat itself is a sign of humility. And so it's something that's worn that, uh, that again, we rely upon Christ. And the priest always grabs from the second horn. So we rely upon Christ. We need him. That the priest, you notice during Mass, will take off his hat during, during certain times and will be able to, you know, at the name of our Lord, our various parts in the glory and the credo, the hat, you know, will, will come off and be brought to the knees. The head is bowed. That's a sign of humility. So humbling oneself, stripping oneself of any glory that you might have, right? As well as just humility by virtue of the fact that this just says I'm not something special, right? I'm just ordinary priest, right, in so many ways. And so uh, this is the, the bread that is worn. And several other vestments that are not worn at Mass, but that are uh, worn from time to time, is the cope. Which is used anytime the priest is not celebrating Mass. So I told you the, the chasuble came from the word casula, which means little house. And so it was basically a, a, a large, it was a large cloth that you would just pull your hands out from the sides or from the front. It should sound vaguely familiar. If you're looking at this, practically speaking, because this is actually the same thing, they just cut the front out. <laughs> and so the originally, the chasuble would have looked also like this, as you'd have to gather up the cloth to do this number, to give you a better visual of what a conical chasuble would look like with the cloth. All this would be sitting on your arms, 
the entire time, right? And so it'd be hard to have to do this each time you're trying to get ready at the altar, right? And so, so the, the chasuble was formulated specifically for the Mass. So it's only used at Mass. Everything else, every other blessing, every other sacrament, every procession, anything else, the priest wears the vestment that's comparable to it, but for all the other scenarios, right? And so he would wear this typically with the surplice. And so rather than a full-length alb and the chasuble, which is reserved for Mass, the priest would wear a short, the short white vestment and a cope, right? And so you can always tell kind of what's the, what's the liturgical setup based off of of whether if there's a chasuble there, mass is going to be had. And if not, it won't. On a similar point, we said that the chasuble originally had a hood, right? And so that it was originally a hood. On the back of here is the remnants of our hood. This is where the hood survives. It's not actually a practical hood anymore. It's more usually just a nice embroidered, embroidered it's still referred to as a hood, you just can't actually lift it on your head because it's attached at the shoulder. So wearing it like this would be weird, right? Um, and so, so it's just kind of a symbolic hood on the back of it now, but it's become kind of formalized uh, in the vestment itself. And so it's neat to see that, that our, our vestments, they still hold some of the history in them, even, even if you don't uh, have a practical use for it anymore. It's a reminder of what it was and what it, what it has been, where it came from, uh, from the beginning. And the last piece is that of a humeral veil, which is a long cloth, oftentimes will match, will match the cope. And so this is a cloth that, that one will wear uh, if one is offering benediction or carrying holy items, relics, or these kinds of things. It attaches them in a similar manner, and one is able to, to use this uh, and so very often there will be handy pockets inside uh, so that you don't have to use the cloth. So if you don't have pockets, you have to use the cloth, and the cloth gets kind of much more abused. Right? And so the outside, the nicer cloth will be used much more. And so they created these pockets inside so you can grab things with the inside of, the, inside of it, which can be changed out if need be, and still preserve the outside of the of the. Um, the veil itself. So it's called a humeral veil because, right, you're humeral, <laughs> you're humorous. Uh, so it's the, it's the veil that covers your arms. Um, and so again, it's just used for uh, like uh, benediction, the blessed sacrament, uh, offering, uh, offering blessings with, with relics or carrying relics in procession, these kinds of things. Uh, there's also a vestment that looks basically just like this, uh, but attaches a little bit differently and it's less ornate. It is known as a vimp, V-I-M-P. And that's a vestment that is worn by, uh, by altar servers to minister to the bishop's things. So, uh, right, we're, so a person doesn't just presume to touch the bishop's crozier or miter, uh, that, that one does it either with gloves or with something else. And so, uh, so we have a vimp, or vimpe is the plural, um, of these, which two servers would wear, and so they would each have something to cover their arms. So anytime they need to grab the, the bishop's crozier from him or bring it to him, they would have this a cloth exactly like this covering their arms so they can hold it uh, rather than touch the vessels or touch the items themselves with their own hands. We often joke that if somebody touches the bishop's crozier with his bare hand, he has to be a priest. It's a law, 
right? And so uh, it usually makes the, makes the young boys go, oh, 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 hold on now. Uh, so they kind of get a little nervous about that, a little gun shy. But, uh, but again, it's just a vestment that's, uh, that's worn um, kind of a veneration of some of these things. So um, that's probably more than you ever cared to know about vestments. Um, but I hope it's been edifying for you. I hope it's been uh, encouraging and, and giving you some insight in ways that you can pray with all these things that you see at Holy Mass, but also just simply knowing that, that they have roots that are ancient, that, that so much of our church, that, the, that, we are so, that we are so back in history and our foundation, that sometimes we just, we just forgot where things came from, honestly. Like, that's pretty neat. You know, some people would, would take, take offense at that and say, oh, you, you, know, you have to do da-da-da-da, yeah, you know, and, and kind of be upset about it. But, like, it's pretty amazing that, that 2,000 years ago, the early church, that Peter and the apostles and the others that they were ordained were wearing things that looked very similar to this. It wouldn't be as ornate as this necessarily. They might have been. They might have been more ornate. At certain times, they were bejeweling their amices. They were having embroidery on the whole amice itself. Your cassock or your, or your, your, your alb would have, would have all kind of fine embroidery and scenes at the bottom of it, uh, speaking the, the scriptures and these kinds of things, right? And so, but it's uh, a richness that, that this has been something that, that over the years, the church has adjusted age to age, kind of tweaked some things, changed some things, and it's evolved over time. But it still is essentially the same of what we've been using for 2,000 years. Uh, the newest piece of equipment that we have is 1,100 years old. It's the Beretta, right? That's awesome. Uh, and so it's just a, a, really, a really beautiful thing there. And so, uh, again, the, the vestments are, are just a, a piece of the puzzle, uh, but, and not, not even the most important piece, but they are one more thing that we can use to visually remind ourselves of what exactly is happening here. Something I didn't mention that is important is investments. IHS. It's the abbreviated form of the name of Jesus. Right? If you have others, there will be other ones. So there's on the surplus that I have here. <clears throat> Should we look at it? If you can see there. It's got the Cairo and the Alpha and the Omega, right? Cairo, the, the P with the X at the bottom of it, is Christos. So the P and X, uh, or the XP, would be Chris, the, the cr part of Christos. And so, uh, and the Alpha and the Omega, of course, is our blessed Lord in Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Right? And so the vestments very often will have these, these visible cues, either in the lace or in the embroidery, and some of the symbolism, where it's literally saying, who is this? Christ. And particularly mindful that our presence tells us which way we're supposed to be facing. If I'm facing you, you see Father Brent. If I'm facing away from you, you see Christ. So even our vestments, even our contemporary vestments, they still speak a theology which is supposed to be oriented. And so even the transformation off of the vestments. Some of the vestments that don't have things on the back, there's a theology to them. There's a caution that we ought to have to them. 
And so even our, our traditional style vestments, they themselves tell us things that are not necessarily at the forefront of our mind, but nonetheless, they speak about what's happening here, how it should happen, why it's happening, all of these things. And so just to encourage you in those things, uh, if you have extra questions, I'd be happy to, happy to field some. So. So the question is, is, how was the transition? So, so God gave to Moses specific garments that were to be made for the priestly ministers in the temple. So how do we get from that to uh, the reality of, of these vestments? And, and many of the vestments are, are pretty similar, at least if not in, in practice, kind of in the theology. Uh, and so, right, there would still be in the, there was always, the requirement was always linen, you know, so they were they would be get, they would be clothed in linen. Uh, that there was the the ephod, which was a head covering. Uh, so the a head covering that would be put on. Uh, we've kind of we pulled it down around the neck and and have it as an amos. Uh, and so there would be a, a full length garb that would be put on, and there would be um, there would be the the high priest would wear jewels upon his breast. Uh, so he would go and he would have twelve. 12 jewels that were indicated by the Lord representing the 12 tribes. So he would bring all of Israel with him, right? And so uh, kind of symbolically, you can see that, 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 that the people were being brought, <laughs> brought into the temple since everybody couldn't go in, right? Uh, and so, you know, kind of seeing how, how like the sanctuary is, is the Lord calling us close to himself. Kind of, I think that's kind of a similar thing. Uh, and that the, that the, um, that the stones would hang uh, on the breastplate, you know, of the, the stole as it's crossed over, you know, is, is, you know, it's focused upon the breastplate, it's focused upon the heart. Um, how practically they transition from one to the other, I, I don't know, I don't know precisely, um, in part because they didn't, they didn't often, they didn't exactly see it as taking the Old Testament priesthood and bringing it into the New Testament priesthood. It was kind of something, it was a fulfillment of something. And so there were pieces of things that were brought in, but it wasn't, it wasn't kind of a wholesale incorporation into the early church. Uh, so we know like things like times of prayer, specific prayers at times of day, some liturgical feasts, these kinds of things were very, very easily and clearly brought in. But some of the vestments... Um, it seems, it seems actually that St. Paul, in certain parts, seems intentionally not to say the word priest, lest people think Jewish priests. So he's actually he's talking about men who were ordained in the early church, but doesn't use the word priest to describe them, uh, lest they accidentally kind of get conflated with one another. And so I think there was kind of a, a desire to shift to some separation, but at the same time, 
you can't just throw out everything and, and build something new, right? And so the, the Catholic faith is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. And so I think some of those things were tied in, but I don't know kind of precisely, precisely how. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, part of it is, is the terminology the missile uses is celebrant, right? And so if you're the celebrant, you celebrate something, right? And so, yeah, you're celebrating the holy sacrifice of the Mass. I, I don't think that it has to be a, it's not like It's not like celebrating like, like balloons and like, yay! Like that, you know, it's a lot of, yeah, that you can have that attachment to it or like have that, that kind of view upon it. But it's, you know, it's, yeah, you're, it's, it's offering. Um, and so, like, from the church, the church herself, the theology of it is still the same. Just practically, I think so often the aspect of sacrifice has been, has been neglected, even though the Eucharistic prayers, even the, even the new Eucharistic prayers, still have lots of mention of, of victim, oblation, sacrifice, offering. They, they have that language in them. Um, we just forget it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So, yeah, some of it's, yeah, some of it's, some of it's semantics. So, but that's a, that's a different discussion. So, so, Ms. Newman.
None of these vestments are essential for Mass. Um, again, we have numerous instances of, of, of priests and bishops and cardinals who were in, in prison or solitary confinement or in, in um, concentration camps. And just because, because they didn't have an album, an album MS and all the rest of the pieces and parts, it didn't mean they couldn't celebrate Mass, right? And so, yeah, there's a, there's a sense in which an absolute need, okay, right? Um, but, but generally speaking, you got to have a good reason, right? I can't just, I can't just decide, oh, I'm just not going to wear a chasuble today. That's not really an option for me to decide. Uh, that's something that's, that's bound by things, right? And so, hmm? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I've not had episodes or experiences of, of kind of being, of having mass sprung on me in that sense. Usually it'd be something where I was prepared for, uh, because it, even if I didn't have the vestments, I probably don't have the wine and <laughs> I probably don't have the right, the right wine and the, and the bread that would be required and things too. And so. Um, yeah, again, it's not, not obligatory, but, but yeah, under, under normal circumstance, you know, one ought to, ought to give the Lord the best that we can, uh, in every situation. And sometimes that's full pomp and circumstance and, and everything, everything cranked up to 10. And sometimes that's kind of minimal based off of what we have. Um, you know, when I was... When I've, when I've done some pilgrimage, some pilgrimage things, um, you know, you find yourself in a place where there's no chapel, there's no church, there's no altar. So I celebrate Mass on the picnic table out and back. It's not glorious, but it's also pretty glorious, you know, like it's the Mass. Um, but it's because there wasn't, there wasn't another option, right? And so it's kind of, you, you, you always want to give the Lord the best. Um, the best that you can in that scenario. So, yeah. Hope that helps. Anything else? There is not for us a liturgical norm for shoes. There was, um, there was a norm that priests would wear shoes with buckles. Um, and so oddly enough, shoes with a buckle, like the square brass buckle, uh, was something that, that priest was part of our, was part of our garb, but, uh, oddly enough was forbidden, I think, uh, in the sixties. So I can, I can wear Nike, Nike shoes. I can wear anything under sun, but I can't wear shoes with a buckle on them. Uh, kind of a strange thing, strange rule to have there. Um, I know, I know the Eastern rites, like Father Alex, when does the Maronite rite, you go in the sacristy, his shoes are in the corner because he's wearing special shoes that, that he wears, um, as part of their ritual, as part of the rite, because they're on holy ground, right? Uh, in a similar manner, uh, those who are of, 
those who had kind of some rank in the church would often have um, similar shoes that they would wear. And the bishops and monsignors and, and so on would have special shoes that would be part of the ritual. But um, I don't know of anything that the priests specifically would wear that would be purely liturgical, but not otherwise. Richard?
It doesn't have to be embroidered with gold. No, it could be, it could be different threads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the orphrey things that I forgot to mention. So sometimes you'll have, like on a Roman chasuble, the simple, simple Roman style chasuble, there'll be ornaments that you'll have cross, or you'll have a, a single kind of bar on the front. And so that's, that's part, and on the back you'll typically have a cross. And so that's kind of normal. So it's the, it's the pillar of the scourging, and it's the crucifixion of our Lord. And so that's, that's part of that. Part of this, this imagery of this, with the, the kind of Y-shaped, uh, the Y-shaped part, is the Y is actually kind of imaging the body of our Lord. Uh, so like when he's on the cross, uh, ours is kind of more stretched out. But he would be under the weight of his body, so it would be probably hanging more down. And so the, the wire shape pattern is the arms of our Lord as he's on the cross. And it can be, that can be, it can be uh, any kind of thread. It could be, it could have, it could be simple, simple cloth. It could be ornate, uh, ornate cloth. It could be kind of full, full of embroideries and all kinds of things. They're very simple and plain. Again, it's kind of whatever, whatever is available and offered at the time. So. You want to give the Lord the good stuff if you can, but yeah. If we're short on silk, then you take something else. Anything else? Very good. Well, shall we close? Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.